Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. You're listening to John Byrne, the Editor-in-Chief of Poets and Quants, and my co-hosts, Maria Wickfilla and Caroline D'Arty Edwards. We're going to talk a little bit about a Wall Street Journal story that just appeared. And the story reports that many 2023 MBA grads are still struggling to find a job nine months after having graduated with a degree. The story cites some statistics that we've reported separately in the employment reports for these schools. Harvard Business School, for example, uh, is singled out. It notes, the article notes that it was 86% of the class of 2023 uh, who received offers within 90 days. That's a big drop from 95% a year earlier. Um, There are lesser drops at Stanford and many other schools. The story portrayed a Yale uh, MBA who was quoted saying, I had no idea a year later I'd still be searching for full-time employment. And there are other people uh, quoted in the story mentioning how difficult it's been to get a job. Uh, One of the things we do know, and we've reported pretty extensively on this, is that many of the consulting firms who did hiring delayed the start dates for many of their hires. Uh, That's still going on and lingering into 2024. Maria, what do you make of this? Well, I think as as we were chatting before we started recording, um, and and Caroline was the one who brought this up, but it it's such a such a smart insight that it sort of took over my consciousness. You know, this t- looks like it's a cyclical thing. You know, every time the economy goes up, then it goes down, um, and so every time the economy does have a bit of a downturn, then hiring has a bit of a downturn, and then we see these sorts of hand wringing articles from people who watch the industry. You know, I don't I don't think that it doesn't seem like it's, you know, a terrible, terrible year. We're not talking like, you know, the 0809 crash or or anything like that. So it does look like things are a little bit harder out there for for people who are graduating. But I do think that it just means that there's a little bit more elbow grease that applicants to jobs need to have. They need to maybe do a little bit more networking than they were going to do or be open to a wider range of possibilities. But I do think that the that the jobs are out there. There are some jobs. It just might not be the job that they initially wanted. And to those people, I would say, look, you know, the toolkit you got from your NBA is going to be useful regardless of where you end up going. And your career is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And so even if that first job out of business school isn't quite what you were hoping for, you can still work your way towards that dream job. Uh, It just might take you an extra year or two. But overall, I'm I'm not as you know, I, I didn't read this article and think, oh, no, it's the end. You know, the sky is falling <laughs> or, or anything along those lines. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's worth pointing out that the vast majority of MBAs who graduated last year do, in fact, have jobs. And I mean, the vast majority. I'm not talking about 60 or 70 percent. I'm talking about 90 percent plus, um, because if even at Harvard, the number three months after graduation was 86%. You have to assume that by the end of the year, well over 90% of the graduates have jobs, if not all of them. Caroline, right? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And um, I, Maria had lots of great advice there um, for students who find themselves in that situation. It, it is often a case if you graduate during a downturn that you might not get your dream job um, immediately, right? You might not have that job lined up straight away. 
or you might not get that might not be your first position straight out of business school. And my, my colleagues at INSEAD who worked in the careers team would always talk to students about how, you know, especially they're trying to make a big career change. It might not happen in one step, right? It may be multiple steps. Um, so you have to think about being creative in how you get to your the end point that you're that you're looking for. And maybe your short-term goal becomes your medium-term goal. And there are different ways, there are many different paths to the same destination. And so while it is very challenging and discouraging for, for students who find themselves in that position where they haven't got, you know, they've probably been through many interviews and they've applied for many jobs and nothing has yet come through, then it, it, it is difficult to stay positive. But it's really important um, to uh, to keep knocking on those doors. And you know, in that situation, it really is all about resilience. And you talked in a previous podcast, John, about how people at business school are often very upbeat and very positive. And I think that positive spirit is really important in these times when it's not an ideal job market, right? Um, having that faith in yourself and faith that things will work out well is is really important. And it's also, I, I think, you know, have to bear in mind that no one can predict where the job market is going. Um, when you apply to business school, you'll probably be graduating in about three years, right? Because often it's about a year of preparing to take the GMAT and researching schools and working on your applications. Um, and it's probably roughly 12 month period before you actually turn up on campus. And then you're graduating two years later if you're going to one of the uh, the top US programs. And nobody knows where the job market will be at that point. So it's no good trying to second guess when is the right time to go to business school for the job market cycle. It's really a matter of luck. And um, some people graduate in a time where my husband graduated from, from Stanford in in 98, I mean, the job offers were just raining down on students. It was extraordinary, right? Um, right. And then a couple of years later, that was a very different story. But it, it's rare that that graduates are unable to recover from that um, short-term challenge. And it may be that you take a different path to where you want to go. But as I said, there are many different paths to to a particular destination and so people have to sort of st stay strong and, and be creative yeah very true i mean the other thing i wonder if in fact the industry's over reliance on consulting is more of a factor here than than has been made out to be because after all we have not gone through a recession uh the unemployment rate in the united states is very low at historic lows and it's the slowness of business in the consulting industry that's often resulted in some of this uh, delayed hiring. And then you have a lot of tech companies that, frankly, were overstaffed and have uh, rid themselves of some uh, employees in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. So I wonder if, in a, in a way, because we haven't had a recession and job growth has been very good in the U.S. economy, this is more a factor of uh, something hitting the mainstream recruiters of MBAs uh, and why you've seen a little bit of a slowdown. The other thing you don't know is to what extent are people picking and choosing? Meaning, 
there has been a trend toward the one-off job search. So more and more MBA students, particularly at the at the you know the the better schools that place people in the most lucrative jobs in PE and hedge funds, investment management jobs, uh, where the hiring is by onesie and twosie, and and these firms don't really go to campus and recruit. You have to seek them out and get these jobs by networking or by previous job experience. Those those companies do not hire on the kind of schedule that major recruiters hire on, and I wonder if uh, some of this is related to that. Maria, would you would you think that's possible? Because we haven't had a recession, and it's actually confounded many of the economists. One almost wonders if this is a canary in the coal mine for the oh. recession that has been promised us. Oh, it's not yet arrived. Uh, who knows, right? If I if I knew if I knew exactly what the economy was going to do at any given time, I would be a stock picker par excellence. <laughs> that would be that would be how I'd make a living. Yeah, no, I I think that maybe this is the soft landing that we are we've been told about. Maybe recruiters are thinking, well, it's better to underhire, and then if we need to hire people later on, we've got those resumes on file. We already interviewed them, so if we need to staff up quickly, we can do that more easily than we can. You know, the pain involved in staffing up quickly might be less than the pain involved in having to do a lot of layoffs quickly. Uh, should they overhire? So that might be part of it. Uh, one nuance to the article that that really jumped out at me was that they talked about how job switchers or career switchers in particular seem to be having a harder time. And I think that that's an important thing, even in in when the times are good. I do think that it's important for applicants to business schools to be aware of the fact that, look, you you can use the MBA certainly as a springboard, you know, or as a way to pivot or as a way to accelerate your career, however you want to use it. However, a complete pivot is not may not be possible depending on where you want to to turn to. Um, and I just think that, you know, when when the times are good, you can say, well, I'm just going to assume that this MBA graduate has a certain base skill set, has a certain level of intelligence and a certain work ethic, and I can take those raw materials and mold them into what I need, my company needs, what I need them to do for my company. Uh, but perhaps when the purse strings are being tightened, one thinks, well, I, I need someone who can hit the ground running right away. I don't have the time or the luxury to train them as well. Um, and so I wonder if if that might also be part of it, where maybe the people who are searching in the field in which they had pre-MBA experience, you know, it would it would be fascinating if if the data were were sliced and diced in that way. So we could see wow. if if is 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 it more of the job pivoters or the folks who perhaps had less relevant uh, business experience prior to business school who might be struggling a bit more. Yeah. Caroline, what do you think of that? Yeah, I do think that when there is a downturn in recruitment, it is more difficult um, for people who are trying to make those big career switches. That has been the case in the past because if recruiters are recruiting fewer people um, and times are a bit tougher, they're more likely to focus on recruiting candidates who have the most relevant experience and they may be less likely to take a chance on somebody who has a more unusual background. So I think that that is is something that has happened in the past, and it's really related to the um, the downturn in in recruitment. I, I I doubt that that is a long term trend that recruiters are going to be less willing to hire people um, who are looking to make a job a, a career a career switch. I think it's just more difficult to make that switch 
in um, in the context of a of a declining recruitment market. Yeah, true. I'm going to come back to what I said about the consulting industry and and the MBA's over reliance on an industry for employment. You know, the, usually that's an industry that does exceedingly well when times are bad, because when times are bad, companies need additional help. They need you know a third party to come in and look at things and make solutions uh, for them. Uh, the fact that the economy has actually held up very strong makes me think that, you know, consulting too is a little uh, counter-cyclical, uh, which is why perhaps uh, consulting firms are hiring fewer people and they're delaying the hires. I had lunch this week with a, a MBA who's going to graduate uh, in May, and uh, he has a job uh, that he got in his pocket right after his internship during the summer with the Parthenon. And he expects uh, to start in October. So they've pushed off his start date. And so he's in the situation of having to look uh, for some part-time employment. And he's got a, you know, he's got a gig with a, f- a professor to help on some research project. But he's also looking for some other work. And it makes me think this is a function of the economy has been so strong that consulting firms aren't getting the business that they typically get. So they're holding off on some of the hiring. The other thing is consulting has become so big and so massive, you wonder if it's reached its peak in terms of its uh, the available market share, which I think could be a, a real issue for the industry overall, given how many MBAs are funneled into this industry. It's just phenomenal. Uh, so here's the other question I think that this, that, that this story raises. For someone who's considering applying uh, to business school, should they have second thoughts? Should they hold on to their job and go part-time or do an online MBA? If in fact a full-time MBA program uh, might not get them the career switch that they really want? Caroline, what do you think? As I said, you, you can't predict what the job market is going to do. So I think you need to make a decision in your in your own case if you think that the MBA is going to serve you well in the long term because in the short term there will be fluctuations in the job market you may be very lucky and come out in a, in a in a market where it's very easy to make a big career switch and recruiters are uh, hiring vast numbers of MBA graduates or you may not and i sometimes speak to candidates who ask me um well, you know, if I go to this school, can I get this, you know, X job as if it's some kind of equation. Like if you can get into that school, then you automatically get this sort of opportunity. And it doesn't happen like that. You have to um, put a huge amount of effort effort into your job search, especially if you're trying to make a big career switch. And, and, and sometimes I speak to candidates who seem to think that it's sort of going to be given to them on a plate if they go to business school that, right. that somehow – um it's all going to fall into place um so it 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 really is a very personal decision but i think that um for candidates who um see the opportunity for themselves to build up their their skills and knowledge and network and that they think they can leverage that and that they are flexible about what they do in the short term um, and they have a vision of what they want to do in the longer term, then it makes as much sense now um, as it ever did. Um, you just have to be willing to 
um, face that uncertainty because um, there, are, there are no guarantees, right? An MBA is not a magic bullet. It's not going to guarantee you a particular job placement when you come out of the program. Very true. Maria, I'm thinking your advice too is it doesn't matter. If, if, if you know you want the MBA, you know it's going to help you long-term, you go for it. You don't, you don't base your decision on, you know, sticking your, your finger in the, in the air and seeing which way the wind blows. Right. Yeah. I, and I suspect that this is why, you know, professional admissions consultants like Caroline and myself, I suspect that we urge our clients to do a lot of research even before they apply. Uh, you know, it's really important to talk to students who are actually going to these schools instead of just relying on the rankings. It's really important to see if maybe there are any recruiters out there that you can connect with uh, and you can ask them, look, do I need the MBA to get this job or is there some other job that might be better? I, I recently was corresponding uh, over email with someone who said, well, I really want to get the MBA because I really, really want to work in asset management. And I said, cool, uh, but did you know that Yale now has a one-year master's in asset management program that might be shorter, cheaper, and more yes, exactly. focused, more targeted on the thing that you, that you want to do? Um, so I think that that research is is really important for anyone to do, regardless of whether or not the economy is in a good place or not, right? Because also the other the other time that I, I often urge people to do this is when they do get accepted to a school. And then if they don't get a full scholarship, which is quite common, more common than it is for undergraduate, uh, and suddenly they have to take out this enormous student loan and they start to get cold feet. And I say, well, remember all that research you did and remember all those things you said in your essay about why you wanted to get this degree? I mean, that's that's part of it, right? It's It's an investment in yourself that hopefully, you know, sometimes I do talk people out of the MBA and, and I say to them, well, look, I just saved you $200,000, uh, <laughs> you know, plus the, plus the opportunity cost, right? Because you, you might not necessarily need it. But if you have determined that this education, as, as I think all three of us heartily agree, the education and the experience is certainly worth it. So if you have also been convinced of this, then you shouldn't let short-term fluctuations in the job market sway you uh, one way or the other. Uh, one one little anecdote I wanted to share is that this I was talking about this article with some some colleagues of mine, you know, some some folks who are also recent graduates of of MBA programs who are now themselves going back to their alma maters and uh, recruiting. And one of the things that they said is that some some folks perhaps entered business school when the economy was doing very well. And more recently that it's not now that it's not doing so well, they haven't, some of them, some, this is obviously not most job seekers, but some of the MBA job seekers have not been flexible in terms of realizing that now it's no longer a buyer's market. It's now, it's, it's now the employers have more of the upper hand than the, mm, than the talent. Right. Um, yep. And, and I, and some anecdotes were, were being shared about, you know, people showing up to recruit MBAs who said, yes, I really want to become a product marketing manager. Um, and so, you know, this person I know is like, okay, great. So let's do like a, a sample case. of how would you market this product? What would you do? How would you work with the, and this person was like, well, I don't really know. Like, you know, I have, I have no, I have no previous, right. These people were just like applying to jobs and they were clearly just signing up for the interviews because they were throwing spaghetti at a wall. Um, yeah. And, and maybe, look, maybe when the economy is hot, that's all it takes. But I do think that, you know, the good news is that hopefully this the, the discipline that might creep into some of the career planning 
offices and some of the career seeking processes, hopefully some of that discipline might carry forward, even when the economy inevitably does get better again. Yeah, that's very true. The other thing that's worth noting is that, look, one of the one of the advantages of an MBA, in fact, one of the advantages of going to business school, and I've said this before, but it needs to be said again, is the business school usually does never thinks that when your diploma is handed to you on the stage, that the job is done. The business school thinks its job is done when you actually get a job. And that's different than any other school, any other department uh, in academia. And uh, the fact that you're taught life uh, long skills in how to get a job and how to use networking and how to use your classmates uh, and how to tap into the faculty network as well uh, to help you land a job that you really want uh, is something you're not going to get anywhere else. So if, in fact, it's taking a little bit longer, you have to do a few more interviews, you have to network a little bit harder, uh, you can rest assured that you have an army of people behind you and around you who are willing to help you uh, get exactly what you want. And that's the beauty of, I think, a great business school. Something else is going on this month that's worth noting and uh, I had the chance to interview the CEO of GMAC this past week, uh, who tells me there is a rush on the old test. For those of you who know or don't know, uh, the traditional GMAT test uh, will sunset on January 31st. That's the last day that you can actually take the uh, longstanding uh, longer test. Uh, and then the only test that will be available would be the new and shorter focus edition of the GMAT, which is nearly uh, an hour or less to take uh, than the old exam. But I think a lot of people studied for that older exam, and so they feel a little bit more comfortable uh, rushing to take it. So GMAT has seen uh, an uptick in test taking in advance of that sunset date. Does that surprise you, Caroline? No, I don't think so. I think probably if you have taken the tests before and that's the test that you've done, then that's the one that you're familiar with. And as we've discussed, when we talked about the switch to the new GMAT. That for some people, there may be advantages in doing a longer test. Um, it depends on your style, but in a longer test, there are more questions. And so one careless error may carry less weight than it would in the GMAT focus edition. And so... Um, I would imagine that candidates who have been preparing for some time for the GMAT and may have already taken it um, once or twice before um, may well feel more comfortable with, a, with the, the same format. Yeah, she also noted, interestingly enough, that a number of students are taking both versions of the test, see which one they perform better on, and then submitting the higher score um, out of the two tests. That's something that I think Maria would have done, right? <laughs> Maria are, you implied, are you implying that I had to take the test more than once, John? No, um, I actually didn't know you did. <laughs> I only took it once. But I'm, you know, that's standardized testing is actually something I perversely enjoy. So I didn't. It's one of my it's one of my few academic strengths. So no, I yeah, I absolutely would have done that. If I if I wanted to hedge my bets, like what's another you know, I don't remember, $200, $250 to, to take the second test. And who knows, maybe it'll go better for me. And if it does, I should submit that one. And 
absolutely. Why wouldn't you try to mitigate that risk? Although I'm really, I, I'm, I feel, I feel bad for the nice folks at GMAC because I feel like they created this entire test to be the GRE slayer uh, and to try to to stem the tide of people who are switching, who are abandoning the GMAT in favor of the GRE. And so they, I think they might have thought, okay, like, let's make it, let's make it more focused and let's make it shorter and let's, let's, you know, make it a more appealing test to take. Uh, and unfortunately, as we've we've spoken about before here, they almost they got so close, like they got to that, you know, that one yard line, right? They got right up to the goal. They were about to kick the ball right into the goal. And then they decided to make the scoring one in which a 700 on the new test would have been a 760 in the old test. And again, for me, that is just such a I am flummoxed as to why anyone would would make the test harder, like you get a a lower grade for doing just as well or a lower mark um, yeah. because the market overall is not going to necessarily know like, oh, you got a 700 on the new test, but a 700 on the new test would have been a 760 on the old test. People aren't going to know that. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I, I just sort of feel like, oh my gosh, they put all this thought and all this, you know, all this effort, I'm sure it's so much effort and and brain power went into remaking the test and yet the scoring part of it they didn't think about the marketing aspect the signaling aspect of it that if i am a test taker and i'm and i'm going to put that you know speaking of the job search i know that a lot of mba graduates put their gmat scores on their resumes to signal to employers their you know sort of general academic aptitude if now i if now what would have been a 760 on the old test is only a 700 on the new test well, of course I'm going to take the old test. Why would I take the new one? <laughs> you don't have to be a you don't have to be a you know an MBA genius to know that the number 760 sure sounds larger than the number 700. So yes. I, I just you know I just I feel I feel bad for them because I I worry that this this change they made because of the scoring being so unflattering to folks is just going to actually push more people towards the. GRE. I hope I'm wrong, uh, but I I can't help but wonder if that's if that's what's going to happen. And if yeah. that's the case, then maybe what people start doing, and maybe this is what the the you know the um, what's it called? Oh my gosh, the rankings. Sorry, I I have such a such a negative psychological thing against rankings that I couldn't even remember the word. That's how much I want to block it out of my brain. You know, but like if the rankings, for instance, if they start going more on percentile, like reporting their percentiles instead of reporting the 650 or the 720 or what have you, we might start seeing that being more the thing that people say, like I got 92nd percentile uh, instead of the number, but that's still yeah. it's more complicated than it should be. So, And sure enough, Joy Jones, the CEO of GMAC, uh, acknowledged that the, the most of the questions and most of the concerns are all around the scoring and the change in the scoring. Her explanation for that, incidentally, is that you know, there's the, over the years there's been so much compression of scores at the top uh, and inflation uh, in the test that uh, schools were asking GMAC for further differentiation on the scoring. And that's why they uh, went ahead and did what they did. So uh, because at the upper level, as we know, those bands are very tight now. Um which result in these much lower scores. And uh, while it's pretty, you know, it's pretty scary, frankly, 
Uh, and I can understand why I, I would bet that a lot of the people who are taking the test before January 31st are taking it because of that reason. You know, her, her, her view on this is that it was asked for by the schools and therefore that's why we did it. But you're right. It could, it could toss more people into the GRE. Uh, and probably fewer people are going to be mentioning their GMAT score on their LinkedIn profiles. <laughs> For sure. Which is a good thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, probably. That, that's not a bad thing at all. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. If you want to take the old or the existing GMAT, of course, the, the new one has been available for a couple of months. You need to do it by January 31st. Otherwise, you say goodbye to the test. Meantime, if you're worried about the uh, job outlook, don't. Uh, you know, getting an MBA is not a short-term uh, decision. It should never be. It's it's looking at your career and over the long haul and how you'll benefit from uh, the education, the skills, the network you receive, uh, the friendships you make. That's what really matters. Well, hey, thanks for listening. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants.